Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Many of our listeners care about the national debt and don't like that it's so large. But today we're going to be talking about a possible solution. It's called the Swiss debt break. I don't really know what it is, so I'm looking forward to this discussion where I'm going to learn with you what this thing is and how it can help us. Joining us to discuss it first is our guest, Barry Polson. He's a professor emeritus from the University of Colorado and also an advisor to the ALEC Task Force on Tax and Fiscal Policy. Barry, thank you so much for calling in. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. And we also have two of our illustrious policy experts from ALEC. First is Carla Jones. She's the ALEC Senior Director of the Federalism and International Relations Task Force. Carla, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you, Dan, for hosting this. Of course. And last but not least, we have Lee Schock. He is also an Alex Senior Director, but of the Center for State Fiscal Reform. Lee, thank you so much for calling in. Great to be here. Awesome. So many people know Paul Krugman. He's a well-known economist, popular, writes often in the New York Times. He doesn't think the national debt is a serious problem. That's actually something that he's been quoted saying. To start things off, Barry, tell our listeners why he's wrong. Why is the national debt a serious problem? Well, Dan, I think we've fallen off of a fiscal cliff here, and so uh, we're incurring debt at an unsustainable rate. But this is not just a short-term phenomenon. We've been incurring debt at an unsustainable rate now for several decades. And I think that if you look back over the last two decades, we've had several economic shocks, the financial crisis and now this coronavirus crisis. And clearly, in a crisis like this, the federal government needs to spend whatever funds are needed to address the crisis. But the problem is that this is a long-run phenomenon. We've been incurring debt consistently at an unsustainable rate. And even in periods of prosperity and growth, we're running trillion-dollar deficits. And so basically, the CBO projects that if we continue these policies incurring debt at this rate, the debt this year is probably going to equal our national income, and it's projected to grow over the next three decades to probably double our national income. So basically, the CBO is saying that this is not sustainable, that we will begin to experience retardation and stagnation in economic growth. So uh, as you said, we're, we're looking at some other countries like Switzerland that have had some success in addressing their debt crisis. And the key is uh, that they've introduced more effective fiscal rules. We have some statutory fiscal rules that have proven to be ineffective in the long run. So we're looking around to see what kinds of fiscal rules uh, have proven effective. And the Swiss introduced their debt break around 2000. And over the last two decades, they've reduced their debt to GDP ratio by roughly half. In 2000, their debt was about similar to the U.S. It was about 40%, and now it's in the 20% range. So what would our future, our country's future, individuals' futures, maybe even business future, look like if we don't get debt under control? Well, I, I think for, for the U.S., if, if we continue to allow debt to grow relative to our national income, I think we're going to look a lot like Japan. And Japan has uh, is one of the highest debtor countries in the world, and they've 
allowed their debt to grow at an unsustainable rate. And uh, the Japanese economy has experienced uh, retardation and stagnation and economic growth. And I think that's that's basically what the CBO is projecting if we continue along this path. And Dan, I would just add that there are states that I think can serve as an example or a microcosm of what happens when spending and debt just accumulates at an alarming rate. You know, there are states like Illinois and California where we've examined at the Center for State Fiscal Reform just have piled up unfunded pension liabilities to the point where, you know, they're completely unsustainable and tax burdens have increased as a result uh, to try and keep the state running. In Illinois' case and in California, you do see many people fleeing for better tax climates and to states that have their debt and spending more under control. Um, I think that can provide some clues for our country as a whole of what to expect. Yeah, I agree with you, Lee. I think that uh, we've been looking at that using our state fiscal calculator. We use it to estimate what would be the impact of Tabor-like fiscal rules in the states. And uh, we simulate this in a number of states. And what we've what we've discovered is that there are about a half a dozen states like Illinois and Connecticut that are basically, there's no hope. I think the best option for that group of states is bankruptcy. And as you know, Puerto Rico sets a precedent where the federal government introduced new bankruptcy laws that allow Puerto Rico to declare bankruptcy and then restructure their obligations. And as you say, the, the, the flaw are the unfunded liabilities accumulating in pension and OPEB plans. So uh, I think that there is no way that these states are going to be able to meet those obligations within a reasonable amortization period of 30 years or so. So the best option for those states would be bankruptcy, which would allow them to restructure those obligations. Now, most states, we find that if they were to introduce Tabor-type rules, they could solve their debt crisis and they could Uh, bring their debts down to reasonable levels. But uh, most states also need to uh, enact reforms in their pension and OPEB plans. And as you know, there are precedents there in Utah and other states for uh, reforms of uh, pension and OPEB plans uh, that have, uh, in fact, solved their problem. And now that we've established that the national debt is indeed a serious problem, Let's look at one of the potential solutions. What exactly is the Swiss debt break? And why did the Swiss incorporate it into their constitution? I think Switzerland back in the late 80s, early 90s, encountered a debt crisis that uh, similar to what we're experiencing, debt was growing at an unsustainable rate. And what they enacted is referred to as the debt break. And it was first enacted at the cantonal level and then later at the national level. And basically, a debt break combines several rules. First of all, there's a spending limit that keeps the growth of the government in line with the growth of the economy. And then they have a balanced budget rule, and it's called a cyclically balanced budget rule, where they have to balance the budget in the near term. So if they do incur deficits in the short term, Within several years, 
the rule requires them to run surpluses to offset those deficits so that they balance the budget over the business cycle. So that they set a, a debt break and a deficit break that's, that sets targets for debt and deficits. And, and if their debt and deficits approach those targets, then the rules require that they reduce spending and bring their debt and deficits back to sustainable levels. What kind of spending do they end up reducing? Are there certain programs that end up being targeted more often than others? Do they ever increase revenues? At the national level, the spending limit limits the total spending to uh, the long-run rate of growth of the economy. So the, the spending limit is applied to the total budget, and it, that leaves it up to legislators to decide how to meet that budget constraint. Now, Switzerland, like all countries, is looking at problems in their pension and their retiree health plans, and they have enacted reforms in those programs that make them consistent with the debt break. So, Barry, I do want to get into a little bit about the U.S. government situation. Um, recently, what was just announced was that the U.S. Uh, federal government announced that it would be borrowing an additional $3 trillion in this current fiscal year. I mean, simple math, that just means that our national debt is going to be just about $30 trillion by the end of 2020. Um, that's pretty startling. Yeah, and it certainly is. Uh, you can understand how the federal government needs to spend money to address the problem, the, the pandemic. They certainly have to bend that curve down, and that's going to take a lot of spending. But the problem is the long run. I call it bending two curves down. We have to bend the coronavirus curve infection rate down, but we also have to bend the debt to GDP ratio down, bend that curve down in the long run. And that's where we're failing. So what we argue is that uh, the U.S. needs some new fiscal rules, and we think that the Swiss debt break is perhaps the best model. And we've designed a federal calculator where we simulate what a debt break would look like in the U.S. and to estimate the effects it would have. And uh, we've run this over the historical time period. And there we asked the question, what if we had introduced a Swiss-style debt break two decades ago? And uh, that was pretty promising. We found that with a modest reduction in the rate of growth of federal spending, we could, in fact, have... Uh, reduced our deficits and debt to sustainable levels. The problem was we simulated this over the forecast period over the next three decades using CBO data. And as you can imagine, uh, addressing the debt crisis from this at this point is much more challenging. But it's conceivable that over the next three decades with these types of fiscal rules in place, we show that the government could balance the budget and it could begin reducing the debt-to-GDP ratio down to uh, a more sustainable level. But it certainly would require much more stringent uh, constraints on all spending, including the entitlement programs, uh, Social Security and, and Medicare. And Dan, just to give the listeners a little bit more context about how the federal spending and the federal debt has really ballooned, even just over the past decade, you know, in 2009, when President Obama was in office and ALEC was part of 
the conversation in pushing back against a bailout of the states from the federal government, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. At that time, the national debt was roughly $10 trillion. I, I hesitate to say just $10 because it's an enormous number. But like you mentioned a moment ago, we could be hitting nearly $30 trillion by the end of 2020. And, you know, as Dr. Paulson mentioned, there was relief that came from the federal government to address the current situation with the pandemic. But states are now coming back. Many states are coming back requesting more in federal funding. And, you know, I think it just gets back to this mentality or this problem of high taxes and high spending rather than prioritizing spending and balancing the budget. Uh, across all levels of government. But Dr. Paulson, I did want to follow up with you. And also, as you modeled this for the U.S., you know, how are you envisioning that something like that would be implemented? Would we need a constitutional amendment? Would we need legislation? What would what would that look like exactly? Well, I think the best prospect would be to follow the Swiss precedent. And uh, they introduced the Swiss debt break as a constitutional provision both at the state level and the national level. In fact, it was, their debt break was first introduced at the cantonal level. And uh, I think that's an important precedent for the U.S. because what the Swiss require is that each level of government has to balance their own budget. They have a no bailout rule that prohibits, uh, that makes it illegal to uh, bail out a, one unit of government from, from another. And so each, uh, the state, the cantonal government and the municipal government in Switzerland are autonomous, independent fiscally, and they are required to balance their budget with no bailout possible. So I think that's that's the key to addressing our, our state and local problem. We need a no bailout rule as well as a, a debt break and effective fiscal rule. And uh, just as in Switzerland, I think if we can achieve this at the at the state and local level, I think it sets a precedent for enacting this type of rule as a constitutional provision at the federal level as well. And as you know, there are several, we don't have a referendum, which is how the Swiss enacted their debt break uh, with a, a large majority of approval from Swiss citizens. We don't have a referendum, but we do have Article 5 which provides for amendments to the Constitution, either by Congress with two-thirds vote in the Congress or by the states with two-thirds votes of the states. And there are groups that are working in the states with state legislators, the Balanced Budget Amendment Task Force and other groups, to uh, pass legislation that would provide for a resolution calling for a Balanced Budget Amendment Convention and uh, I think we're within about five states of achieving that goal of two-thirds uh, states proposing this type of a, of a balanced budget amendment. And I think that if we were to enact this type of amendment uh, with the same kinds of provisions that the Swiss have, that is balancing the budget, not annually, but balancing the budget over the business cycle in the, in the near term and uh, introducing an, an effective spending limit and debt and deficit breaks as part of the BBA, I think that would be, that's, that's the path that I see uh, the U.S. Uh, following if we're, if we're really seriously going to uh, 
solve our debt crisis. I think we, we simply can't continue to uh, business as usual. Business as usual means we don't have effective fiscal rules. Uh, like the Japan, Japanese, we're simply allowed debt to grow at an unsustainable rate, and we become stagnant. God forbid that we become like the Japanese economy today. Alex, Federalism Task Force has been trying to advance the balanced budget amendment through an Article 5 amendment convention for years. Would the change to a Swiss debt break style CBA be made at the convention level? And how do we impress upon the American people, especially now that we're in this crisis, that the national debt is a crisis that merits their attention, that it's something that we absolutely need to do something about? Well, I think that uh, there's a, a big education effort that's needed, and I think Alex playing in a very important role in that, Carla. And uh, I think that uh, the work that we're doing, of course, is to show, first of all, that we're, that continuing along this path is not something that, that citizens want. And I think our surveys show that citizens in the U.S. want a balanced budget amendment. They want the government to begin to constrain debt. and. Uh, I think that that what we're able to do with our research on our federal fiscal calculator is to show that it is feasible to enact these more effective fiscal rules and that we have a precedent now for both at the state level and the national level for how these rules would work. And I think with this type of research uh, informing legislators and, as you say, if we were to enact a, uh, a balanced budget amendment through an Article 5 amendment convention, there would be much discussion about what kinds of rules should they look like. And I think we all agree that annually balanced budget rules simply are not feasible. They would be thrown out uh, without being effective. So we have to design some fiscal rules that are feasible and that have proven to be effective. And I think that the kind of rules that we're proposing in which we we have a spending limit and we have a cyclically balanced budget rule and a deficit debt break as complements to the balanced budget rule. And we can show that this can be implemented in a way that uh, is acceptable and we can address our crises like this corona crisis. We can address military crises at the same time that in the long run, we constrain uh, the growth of debt to sustainable levels. So, Barry, I'm really curious, and I think our listeners would be as well. Um, let's answer a critic for a moment. Um, how would you answer someone who believes that because the states must balance their budgets, um, the federal government needs the flexibility to run deficits? Kind of the yin-yang argument, I suppose you could say. Um, since states aren't able to do this, that means that the federal government needs to be able to do that, I suppose, is the synopsis to the argument. What do you think about that? Well, I think that the states do balance their budgets. I think that we have states like Illinois that uh, have for years failed to do so. And so I think we need to look at the success stories. And, uh, of course, states like Colorado and Utah have for decades now had fiscal rules in place that enable us to balance our budget. 
And I think the key there is that if you are in periods of, of prosperity and growth, uh, you don't simply bump up spending to match whatever revenue comes in. You try to constrain the growth of spending and generate some surplus revenue and set that revenue aside in a, in a rainy day fund or budget stabilization fund so that when you enter into a crisis like the one we're experiencing now, you don't simply run up uh, deficits and debt without limit, which is what we're doing. You approach it with the idea that, first of all, we should have some surplus revenue available to address the crisis. And uh, secondly, that if we do incur some deficit in in the short run here this year or so, that we then follow up with some surplus revenue to offset that deficits in the following year. And this is this is what's worked in, in Switzerland. And when the Swiss entered the financial crisis in 2008, their debt break had been in place for almost a decade, and uh, they had generated surplus revenue, and they were able to pursue countercyclical policies without running up their debt burden. In fact, their debt burden has continued to decrease over the last two decades. Now, we don't know what their responses to the coronavirus, but uh, what I anticipate is that the Swiss are going to go through this crisis as as they did the financial crisis, and they may incur some deficits here in the short term, which is appropriate given the magnitude of the crisis, but the Swiss rule requires that within six years you need to replace that or offset that deficit with surplus in the budget, and they have a specific accounts set up in their budgets to to balance this. And it's proven effective now. And I anticipate it will be effective in this crisis as well. Are there other countries that have done a particularly good job at managing their debt? And what makes the Swiss debt break better than or different than what those other countries have done? I think that uh, over the last two decades, a number of Northern European countries have enacted similar rules. These rules were enacted at the national level. There's also a supranational rule at the the European Economic Community that mandates that uh, when when countries begin to incur deficits in debt, uh, I think their target for for debt is 60% of GDP, and their target for deficits is 3% of GDP. And when countries begin to incur this type of debt and deficits, they are required under these rules to begin to constrain spending and get their fiscal policies back in order. But I think the the most effective rules have been the national rules, and uh, other countries have rules similar to the Swiss, Sweden, the Scandinavian countries, Finland, Netherlands. Germany has had a good bit of success with their fiscal rules as well. So I think there are more than half a dozen countries in Northern Europe that have had success with these new fiscal rules. So, Barry, some of our listeners might be familiar with um, a very intra-ALEC, I'll call it, intra-ALEC famous uh, model policy that we have. It's called the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights. Um, And it's actually um, an ALEC model policy based on something that you 
Dr. Paulson helped work and design in Colorado nearly 30 uh, years ago. Um, Lee, can you talk to our listeners about what the model policy does? And we'll be sure to link to it in our show notes if you're interested in, you know, really getting down to the nitty gritty or learning um, more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like like Dr. Paulson mentioned earlier in our conversation, uh, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, or TABOR, has been uh, immensely successful in Colorado in keeping spending and taxes under control. And so because of this gold standard in Colorado, in TABOR, Alec created a model policy for a federal TABOR, which urges Congress to enact legislation that would annually limit federal mandatory and discretionary spending to the rate of inflation plus population growth. Uh, it would also require a supermajority of both houses of Congress to override the spending limit. And so, you know, I think um, just for more background, you know, Dr. Paulson, as we've mentioned, you were the Tabor architect and, and you're, you're an expert on it. But I'd be curious to hear and for our listeners to hear really how Tabor has benefited Colorado taxpayers. And then does the ALEC model policy or does does the state model in Colorado provide a roadmap for a solution similar to this with debt break? Sure. I, I think that uh, Tabor, I think, has proven to be the most effective tax and spending limit enacted in the states. And as you say, it constrains the growth of state spending to inflation and population growth, and surplus revenue must be rebated to taxpayers. It also requires voter approval to raise debt or to increase taxes. And uh, I think Tabor has really created one of the best business tax climates in the country. And Colorado usually ranks among the top states in terms of our economic growth. Uh, They've tinkered with Tabor and they weakened it a a bit over the years, but uh, it continues to be, I think, the most effective tax and spending limit among the states. One of the things that we do in our research is our state fiscal calculator, we simulate uh, what a Tabor-type limit would look like in other states. And as I mentioned, I think for most states, that with these kinds of rules in place, states would be able to constrain the growth of spending and begin to address the debt crisis that they're all facing, uh, especially in terms of uh, beginning to address the unfunded liabilities and pension and OPEB plans. So I think that Tabor is a good precedent for other states. And there is a sense in which uh, this uh, this is the model for a Swiss-style debt break at the federal level because a debt break uh, requires a spending limit. And whether that spending limit is based on population growth and inflation or Another measure of aggregate economic activity, the, the key is to keep the growth of government in line with the growth of the economy. And uh, we think that the innovation of the breaking is a key here. I think at the federal level, if, if our deficits uh, approach 3% of GDP, you probably know what the percentage this year is. I think it's something like 18% of GDP. And, and this is an unusual year, but in uh, normal times, we would expect deficits to be kept below 3% of GDP. And of course, we need to begin to get our debt ratio back down below 100%. And 
closer to 50%. So I think that uh, that's what these rules can do. I think they've proven to be effective. And I think if citizens learn that uh, this is an alternative path that that has been followed both within our states and in other countries, I think that uh, I think we're going to see a lot more interest in solving this this crisis. Well, that does bring us to the end of our segment today. I'm Dan Reynolds. I've been your host today of Alec Across the States. We've been having an awesome discussion about the Swiss debt break. Can it help the United States? Well, right now, debt in the United States is skyrocketing at a light speed. So throwing on whatever sort of break we can, I think, sounds about right. I really had no idea what the Swiss debt break was before going into this podcast, before discussing it with Carla and Lee. Um, Thank you very much, Barry, for walking me and walking our listeners through it. Um, Barry Polson is a professor emeritus from the University of Colorado and an advisor to the ALEC Task Force on tax and fiscal policy. Barry, thank you so much once again. Thank you, Dan. And also joining this podcast, ALEC policy experts, Carla Jones, ALEC Senior Director of the Federalism and International Relations Task Force. Carla, thanks so much for calling in. Thank you, Dan. And I'm a little more hopeful because this week's Economist, their cover is after the disease, the debt. Ah. So they're focusing on it. That is very good attention to have. And last but not least, Lee Schock, the Alex Senior Director of the Center for State Fiscal Reform. Lee, thank you so much for calling in as well. Thanks, Dan. It was a great conversation with everybody. And if you are interested in having your idea featured on Alec Across the States, do not hesitate to email me at acrossthestates at alec.org. We'd love to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.